Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. It is April 30th, <laughs> last day. I was sad. I didn't want to cut off that song early. If any of you were on the radio, that's um, Fernando Ortega. It's a good friend of my sister's, actually, who um, lived in Albuquerque and made it pretty big in Christian recording. Well worth the listen if you get a chance to ever listen to any of Fernando's uh, songs. Been around for a long time, has some very beautiful stuff. Uh, very interesting guy, nice guy. Well, um, nice to have you all with us. We are moving on in the book of Judges 8 today, and also Matthew 22. I think we're back on YouTube. So, But as always, you can go to calvarypv.com and just hit watch live stream, and that will also work. And keep your radio nearby. Calvary, actually, same thing as Calvary PV Radio. You go to the, the app we have for the... Um, we have our own app for the church, and you can just listen on the radio and get that at Calvary PV Radio at the App Store. Many ways to listen. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our This Day in Trivia. This Day in Trivia, what happened on April 30th in different parts, different years in history? Louisiana Purchase, April 30th, 1803. 828,000 square miles of land were purchased from France for $15 million. What a deal. The whole center part of the United States, when I'm looking at the picture here, it was quite large, down from Texas, Mississippi River, over into Colorado, and uh, all the way up. Then the Dakotas around... Went all the way up just to the edge of Canada. So there we go. Um, this is an interesting one. That, by the way, in 1803. In 1633 on this day, Galileo recants his belief that the earth revolves around the sun. This is what happens when you're a religious institution rather than a disciple of Jesus where you let the scriptures speak for themselves rather than interpreting the scriptures for God. This is what happens. Under threat of torture, astronomer Galileo Galilei recants his belief that the earth revolves around the sun. In 1615, the Roman Inquisition had determined heliocentrism contradicted the Holy Scripture, citing biblical passages as Romans 93.1, 1 Chronicles 16.30, where it says the world is firmly established, cannot be moved. And in Psalm 104.5, the Lord set the earth on his foundations. It cannot be moved. Ecclesiastes 1.5, the earth rises and sets and returns in its place. Galileo's dialogue concerning the, the two chief world systems in 1633 supported helocentrism and appeared to attack Pope Galile uh, the Pope. And uh, so the Pope got the Inquisition on him under threat of torture to recant. And then he recanted. He was sentenced to house arrest for life and forbidden to publish any works regarding heliocentrism. And as late as 1990, the church still showed support for Galileo's prosecution as evidenced by 
Cardinal Ratzinger at that time, then became Pope Benedict the the seventh. No, ten, fifteen, six, sixteen. That's weird. Which stated her the Roman Catholic Church verdict against Galileo was rational and just, and the revision of the verdict can be justified only on the grounds of what is politically opportune. I have no idea what that means. However, in 1992, the Catholic Church admitted that they were wrong in this decision. So the Catholic Church has been holding on to that. Um, and, of course, this is also the foundation for the Flat Earth Movement, the rev- this whole revive thing of the, of the Catholic Church. They take Scripture and they assume just because the, we use idioms, those writers used idioms that those idioms cannot be interpreted any other way as factual and uh, you know that if that's true then God's a chicken because it he says how how long I, how many times I would have gathered you under my wing to protect you you know these idioms Jesus says I am the door no man can come to the father but by me so is Jesus a door no he's not a door there's all kinds of idioms in the Bible. And so when the world is firmly established, cannot be moved, means what its intent was is that the world cannot be shaken by any other force, cannot be outside of God's established will and plan. Obviously, if they were to take this at its face value, then the Catholic Church would have to show us on satellite imagery the foundations of the world. How is the earth on a foundation? Never seen that. Yet it says it, the earth is on its foundations. So somewhere we should have a foundation. And what's that anchor to? <laughs> when you're in the middle of space. See how ridiculous? It just it gets more and more ridiculous. So there you go. Uh, the, the sad thing that happened to Galileo and this is why uh, this is why non Christians laugh at uh, laugh at Christians at times because of the goofy things that we do in the Catholic Church in this case what they did to, to Galileo was completely wrong it didn't diminish the Bible in any way in fact it really accentuates the Bible when we get a full understanding that Galileo was a believer. He didn't deny God in the least. But he understood that God had a marvelous design to the universe. And we can see how it's just played out by the way he makes the earth revolve around the sun and gives our seasons and the, the moon. It's all, it's all perfection. It's God in his, his greatest work. And it cannot be moved. It cannot. God put it in motion. So anyway, enough of that. Let's move on to the dad jokes for today. Here's a good one. If two vegans get into an argument, is it still called a beef? Good question. I'll never tell my accountant a joke again. He just depreciates them. (laughs) If you've just gone through your taxes, you probably know what I mean there. Uh, Here's one more. Let's see. I have to remember this when I go to the restaurant next time. Um... Do you want a box, uh, a waiter comes up to you in your restaurant after you're done eating and says, do you want a box for your leftovers? No, you say, I'll just wrestle you for them.
Well, we can move over now and look into the reading for the today. Now that I have it up right, Judges 8 and Matthew 22. We will go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless it. Father, bless our time this morning. Thank you that we can look into these things and gain an understanding of the way you use people in the Bible, the way you raise people up, and the way you constantly trying to call us back to follow you. How easily we wander. But thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 8. Zeba and Zalmunna routed. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing that you have done to us, not calling us, when you went to fight against Midian? And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiasar? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb into your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then the anger towards him subsided when he said that. Then Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over, weary yet pursuing. And he said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they are weary, for I am pursuing Zeba and Zalumna, the kings of Midian. The leaders of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hands, that we should give bread to your army? Gideon said, All right then. When the Lord has given Zeba and Zalumna into my hand, then I will thrash your bodies with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He went up from there to Penuel and spoke similarly to them. And the men of Penuel answered him just as the men of Sukkoth had answered. So he spoke also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000 men, were all left in the entire army in the sons of the east. For the fallen were 120,000 swordsmen. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in the tent on the east of Nobah and Jagbaha and attacked the camp when the camp was unsuspecting. When Ziba Zalmunna fled, he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Heris. And he captured a youth from Sukkoth and questioned him. And the youth wrote down to him the princes of Sukkoth and the elders, 77 men. And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, concerning whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are weary? He took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars and disciplined the men of Sukkoth with them. He tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And they said, They were like you, each one resembling the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother, as the Lord lives, if only you had let them live. I would not kill you. 
So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise, kill them. But the youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. And Ziba and Zalmunna said, rise up yourself and fall on us. As for the man, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments which were on their camel's necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's sons, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Yet Gideon said to them, I would request of you that each of you give me an an, uh, earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Then they said, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes which were on the sons of Midian and besides the neck bands that were on the camel's necks. Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Orpha, and all Israel played the harlot with it there, so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Verse 28, So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads any more. And the land was undisturbed for forty years in the days of Gideon. Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in, his, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son and named him Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a ripe old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abizorites. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in accordance with all the good that he had done to Israel. Sad ending once again to another one of the judges. Raises up, delivers them. They have peace. They have prosperity. And he tells them, you are to direct your hearts towards God, not me. Make sure that you're serving the Lord our God. And they don't. They, as soon as he's dead, then they go back to serving Baal. Why? Because we tend to sink to our lowest common denominator when we're not, we're not held to accountability is a good way to say it. Nobody's around, nobody, you know, for us, we have, nobody knows what we're doing and we have, nobody can see what we're doing for after a long period of time, we tend to sink back into our sin. This is why it's good to be in church and to be in a family of believers so that we hold each other accountable because we know it's what we need. That's why people are in AA that drink. They know that they, if they're around other people 
that also have that same temptation to fall back into sin and that lowest common denominator, they'll hold them each other accountable. So they, um, <laughs> they fall back into sin. It is so sad. And he even makes this ephod. Gideon wants to make something as, a, as an offering to God of all of the enemy. And he makes something beautiful of gold to put it into a city as a memorial to God's great victory. And what did the people do? They used it to start sinning against God. What do you do? You learn from this. The whole point to all this, and we need God in our nature, and we need God's grace, and we need his instruction. We need his guidance. We are not so uh, advanced and intelligent that we, on our own, can walk with our God. We need the Holy Spirit. Thank the Lord that he gave us the Holy Spirit, and he gave us the scriptures. He gave us one another to keep us going in that direction. We need it. And I need it. I don't know. I, with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. And if I have my Bible, all things are possible. But if I was cut off from you guys, cut off from fellowship, cut off from my wife, and my Bible taken away, put in the midst of a pagan party, rebel, you know, uh, rowdy generation, and had no access to anything uh, of God... And uh, I, I, how long could I make it? Like I said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. And God could just do amazing because he did amazing things through the judges, did amazing things through certain kings. It's not that he can't do it. It's just that I know my nature. And I know that I rely a lot on people around me and the word of God daily to remind me of my nature and remind me that um, I have a fallen nature. And that I need to continually crucify it and ask God to strengthen me and to work through me. And that's important for us to do on a daily basis so that we can not allow the enemy a foothold into our lives. So important if, you are, um, if you're isolated and you don't get out much, especially after these two years, and you're living alone that you find yourself some really good believing brothers and sisters that can be around you and uh, spend time with them, hang out with them, look for them, go to church, uh, don't stay in your house, get over the fear of COVID and get into the fear of the Lord, get into the fear of your sin. You're much better off um, seeking first the kingdom of God and trusting him for your protection than to uh, listen to the CDC these days. So with that, we'll move on to Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted livestock were all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized the slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers, 
and set those cities on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go to the main highways and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. So the slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. And when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, and he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes, he said to them, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him and what he said. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed. And leaving him, they went away. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, saying, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother, and also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? What was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now the crowds heard this, and they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls 
him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. I love it when Jesus gives a Bible study. He comes right out and confounds these guys who thought themselves to be experts in the law. And he expounds on the word of God as truth. It's established that David called, and he quotes this um, when he says, how does the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my hand and talk, put your enemies under my feet. Jesus uses that as an established truth from God that is written down through the prophets. They all agree that it's true. And this was written thousands of years before he came. So we see that Jesus acknowledged and validated the truth and the authority of the scriptures quite plainly. And none of the Pharisees would argue that. They all agreed that that was the established word of God and that it was said that God had, had said it about the Messiah. So Jesus is giving them a Bible study and to help them understand then I'm me, the, the, the son of David, <laughs> is not just a descendant of David. He is preeminent. He is uh, transcendent of David. He's trying to get them to understand that the Messiah was not human, that he was deity. The Messiah was not going to be just a man. He was going to be the God-man. They needed to understand how great and how phenomenal was the Messiah that was coming to this earth. And this is why they're having a hard time understanding uh, what was happening as he was trying to explain all these things to them. And they're, they're misunderstanding. So he gives, you know, he gives them a parable about the wedding feast. And it's all for us. It's so un- amazing because he's telling them exactly what he's doing through a parable and what God has been doing throughout the ages, that there has been a planned wedding feast. And God sent out invitations essentially to the Jewish nation to come to the wedding feast. And that God was planning to have this reunion of God in heaven, humans on earth, to have a bond, an irrevocable, unchangeable, unassailable bond for eternity. And they would come and receive him as their king and Lord. And he sent out his messengers, his servants, to invite them. But as we're seeing in the book of Judges here, as we're reading this, they kept beating in, or in, as we get into David, and all the way through the Jewish history, they, they uh, reject it, nah, we don't want it, or they beat him, they, they kill him. And so God, throughout the history of the Jewish nation, went in there and allowed them to go into captivity, allowed them to be defeated and overwhelmed by their enemies. And so they rejected the wedding feast call and invitation. So he says, go out now and invite everyone in, the good and the sinners. Of course, you could say that was the Gentiles and the Jewish, the Gentiles being the sinners and the Jews being the, the righteous and, uh, or just anyone that, has, that has, is either good or bad uh, by the call to come, the invitation of the gospel to come, come to the wedding feast, that if you receive him by faith, 
I believe in Jesus died on the cross that you would be invited. You're invited to the wedding feast. The call of the servants was the bringing of the gospel. This is Jesus explaining. This is the way uh, God has set up the kingdom. And yet at the wedding feast, he finds that one person who have, was clothed with the wedding garments but was not invited. That is the person that looks outwardly like a Christian but is not inwardly. The person, the pastor, the priest, that puts on the robes of righteousness but inward has no righteousness, does not have the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus will see them and, and uh, they will say, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Cast them out into the outer darkness. The outer darkness is, the, is that place where those who reject Christ will go in the, in the final judgment at the second coming or at the end of the millennium, whichever one you prefer. Um, so here is the parable. Jesus is telling them this. This is why I came. And they come to him trying to trap him. And then he's after, after giving the whole description of who he is as the Messiah, how that whole how salvation works and how the whole history of God has been set up, the history of the nations have been set up to bring us to the wedding feast. Now he proclaims himself as the Messiah. He says, let me ask you a question about the Messiah. Who do you think he is? Oh, well, just a guy. Come, descendant of David, you know, one of the great prophets or whatever it is. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a Jew. No, mm -mm. no, he's much more than that. Otherwise, how could David say that call him Lord? No, the Messiah is deity. The Messiah comes from the beginning of time. He's outside of time. And he comes through the line of David as fully man and fully God then they were to think on that and understand who they who it was that was standing before them quite phenomenal all right charles spurgeon the overcomer's reward to him that overcometh will i give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saying that he receiveth it revelation 217 my heart be thou stirred up to preserve in thy holy war, for the reward of victory is great. Today we eat of heavenly food, which falls about our camps. The food of the wilderness, the food which comes from heaven, the food which never fails the pilgrims to Canaan. But there is reserved for us in Christ Jesus a still higher degree of spiritual life and a food for it which as yet is hidden from our experience in the golden pot which was laid up in the ark there was a portion of manna hidden away which though kept for ages never grew stale no one ever saw it it was hid in the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies even so the highest life of the believer is hid with christ in god we shall come to it soon being made victorious through the grace of our Lord Jesus. We shall eat of the king's meat and feed upon royal dainties. We shall feed upon Jesus. He is our hidden manna, as well as the manna of the wilderness. He is all in all of us in our highest, as well as our lowest estate. He helps us to fight, gives us the victory, and then he himself, our reward. Lord, help me to overcome. And hence the name, manna for breakfast. He is our all in all. 
He is our hidden manna. He is what we come to every morning. He is what strengthens us. He is what brings us comfort and strength when we're weak. He is the one we turn to. And, and it's a daily thing. This is why I love the name. The manna was something that the, the children of Israel had to go out themselves every day and collect. God said, I'll provide it for you from heaven, but you have to go out and collect it. You've got to take the step of faith. You have to do the work. So if you want to be strong, if you want to receive nourishment, you've got to go out and collect it, and you have to, you have to handle it. You have to work with it. And, and as you're working with it, you're preparing it, and you're taking it in. You're digesting it. And this is the beauty of the manna, and it's the beauty of the Word of God, and it's the beauty of what he's saying here, how Jesus is our manna. And there's something hidden. This hidden manna is kind of a special, special blessing. There's something that is of God that he has as a special blessing for us. And it's in Jesus. He is the special manna as well. And I, I don't know if it's something that's going to be revealed when, when we're with him or if it's something that's revealed to those who are um, partaking in the fellowship of suffering. And I kind of, I kind of lean that way. People that are going through some extra difficult circumstances, people that are going through cancer go, or suffering through a war, my friend Ingrid, who wrote her book and went through, you know, two rounds of, of cancer, uh, which was the worst kind of cancer, kind of touched on this hidden manna and how God meets you in a very special way in those times where you are helpless and lost. And even though you're a believer, there's that special kind of a encounter you can have with him. And, and I think that's, that's the love he has for us. The one who collects our tears in a bottle. The one who is always there in the deepest and the darkest times. So there's a beauty here about the living word of God that is always there. That we never want to forget. And we want to thank him for it. And so let's do thank him for it. And thank him for the beauty uh, of the, his word and the way the way he is strengthening us, even in these odd and difficult days that we're in. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for blessing us. We now give this day over to you and thank you for a special prayer, God, for the uh, people in Las Vegas, New Mexico, still suffering with this fire that's been raging, continuing to rage. We know from the government. Um, Statements, there's 166 homes that have been burned, people, families that have lost their homes. So we want to pray for those families, God. We don't know how many or if any were from the church, the Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas. But we want to pray for every, every family that lost a home, the family that have lost their, their um, livelihood, their ranches, their pasture lands, uh, their, their trees, whatever, their gardens. For the retired people that have nothing to fall back on as well or the families that just don't have uh, insurance whatever it is Father we want to pray and, and ask you to bless them and use the believers there to be a strength for them to come alongside them and help them understand that you are there in the midst of difficulties that we live in a fallen world and the enemy is constantly trying to destroy it but we can we can rise up and that you can bless and that you are there for them so help them realize that 
Father, this day. And please just be using uh, Calvary Chapel in an amazing way up there. We have some great friends up there, strong believers. Father, anoint them for the ministry that they have before them. Even our friend David uh, and his, his whole family that work up in Las Vegas with their with their factory and their wood, their wood factory and their, all that they're doing. Uh, just bless them. Help them as well to be ministers of your word and your gospel to the people that are suffering up there. Pray for all of our brothers and sisters going through these treatments, for Francisco in his home, that you get him some help through the doctors, as well as Juan Carlos who has to wait for a long time to get this biopsy done. We pray for that, that it comes soon. Thank you for Celeste continuing on in her ministry. And for a special prayer for Karen Skoog, who's been in the hospital. It's not doing well, Father, and in her cancer. So we really want to lift her up, Father, for your uh, strengthening of her body, who is the body is, is not repairing itself right now. So we pray that you reverse the effects of the cancer. You use the natural means that she's using, the food, the drinks, the, the cleansing, God, and get her body the, to fight off this cancer. So we plead for, for her life before you, God. And thank you for her, her testimony and her strong, strong faith in you. So bless her and bless those around her to be ministers unto her. And we uh, thank you for Steve battling cancer as well in Virginia. And we ask a special blessing upon him as well. And for all others, God, that are still still fighting the battle and doing their cancer treatments, thank you for, for your blessing. And anyone that's having to go through any kind of replacement uh, surgery, God, that you get that whole thing set upon them so quickly and get it all dealt with so that they can get back to their lives in a normal manner. So we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for what's coming with uh, um, that whosoever's asked you to bless them, God, and bless this whole thing that's about to happen coming soon. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, thank you so much, and we will see you tomorrow. No, I mean the recording. I'm going to do the recording for um, tomorrow for our um, continuation that will be on the podcast. So please go to the podcast, sign up for the podcast, even if you don't listen to it, so we get more uh, visibility. If you subscribe, that helps move us up on the list of visibility. But we'll, uh, I'll record tomorrow, Sunday, on the podcast and get it on any format, and it'll be out by the end of the day. Oh, no, it'll be tomorrow morning. It'll be out tomorrow morning. Sorry. Um, so that'll be Judges 9 and 10. So anybody wants to read it, Judges 9 and 10. And we will look forward to seeing you in the morning, 9 a.m., for service time, worship time, and in the word of First Peter. So God bless you all. We'll see you then.